Thank you for listening to KBU Community Radio. My name is Sam Bowman. Hey, what's up? Oh, you're here for a stop? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Throw your crap over there for now. Okay. Uh, put your shirt on, get ready. Hey, you brought your own knives. Sea schooler, eh? It's all right. We forgive you. Uh, all right. This here is Justin. He's our fry cook. Yes, yeah, sup? Over there is Sheila. She's the hostess. Hi. Yeah, she seems nice now. Uh, all right, here. Take a look at this order. We just got this in here. Keep the specs up here. Take a look at that. Uh, what do they want here? Okay, we got an order for episode two of the Bread and Butter podcast. What's that? Oh, you don't know what that is? Oh, Bread and Butter is a podcast. Hey, uh, chop this onion while I'm talking to you, would you? So, yeah, it's a show where we look at stories from people who have stood up to their boss or their landlord, whether or not they were successful at it, in hopes of demystifying and destigmatizing ways for workers and tenants to hold the powers that be in their lives accountable. Whoa, that hey, hey, stop talking, weird. would you? Uh, keep chopping. Okay. You ever made a podcast before? You need caramelized onions. It's going to take us a while, man. Okay. Right, if you want to work here, you got to hustle. And get a get a haircut for crying out loud. Look at that. Okay. Cover up those tattoos. you got so many, they're probably weighing your arm down. I met three-year-olds who could chop faster than this. Come on! You think the sunrise And set for you but the same sunrise and set and shine on the purple too. I don't mind you turning around. I myself would even like a little higher ground. six and a half years of restaurant experience in different kinds of catering, uh, smaller restaurants, larger restaurants, food service for about six and a half years. On the second episode of Bread and Butter, we're going to hear from Elaine, who's going to talk about the experience of initiating legal action against an employer in the food service industry. Specifically, we'll examine the process of writing and delivering a demand letter determining what penalties may exist under your state's laws and what sort of legal aid you can seek. Now, I should say that Elaine is not her real name, but she'll explain why later in the interview. You were involved in legal proceedings against um, uh, a couple of employers, but the first and one that we're going to focus on today uh, was in California, right? Yeah, that's correct, in San Francisco, California. All right, and uh, yeah, that's your... Uh, place of origin, am I correct? Yes, the Bay Area, not specifically San Francisco. I'm from the East Bay myself. <laughs> All right. And uh, can you just describe this this job a little bit? Just like what, what kind of work was it? What uh, And like what, what was your position at, at the place? It was a catering business that also had daily breakfast and lunch service um, in a very business downtown area of San Francisco. So there was a lot of like, you know, catering orders to offices and things of the like. Um, but we also vended for large events like festivals and things like that. I was a cook there. 
it was actually my very first cook position. I was initially brought on actually um, just to work one event. And then I was so eager to be advancing my career um, in cooking that they had me stage for a couple months. I would work one like six hour shift a week and I didn't have another job and I was just holding out because I knew it was going to become a position for me. And it did. And just for our listeners um, who may or may not have uh, worked in the service industry, what is a stage? Stage is essentially an internship. It is, um, you know, working for free so that you are able to get a foot in the door somewhere or learn um, the way that a certain restaurant works. In this particular case, it was more of a very entry level internship type position. What what was the uh, atmosphere like at this place? Uh, was it a consistent work atmosphere? Do you, did you notice it changing over time? It was consistent in that um, the owner, who was also the executive chef, who was there pretty much day to day, it it was a family like atmosphere in that um, sometimes things felt very comfortable and everyone felt a closeness and other times there was a lot of really biting cruelty um, between the owner and some of his employees, like jokes that weren't really jokes, things that were pretty unprofessional, but that, you know, when someone laughs and says like, oh, I'm just kidding, you feel like you're not really allowed to say, but actually that's very upsetting to me. Would you say that that treatment was uh, like unequal or do you think it was applied across the board to employees? Um, There were definitely like certain people got different abuses, I would say. Um, Our sous chef at the business was on the one hand relied upon greatly and praised for his great work. The chef also made fun of his body and his relationship. Um, He had a long-term relationship with a woman who would actually help us serve at catering events often. And um, so to a certain extent, some people were targeted more about their relationships or their bodies. Another woman who I worked with who was about the same age as me, we were both about in our mid-20s, would get made fun of quite a bit by the owner for her going out and partying. Even if it didn't affect work, he would have a comment about, you know, the way that one day she would feel differently about things, telling her she was like Lena Dunham from Girls. <laughs> Just like weird little microaggressions, I guess you could say. <laughs> and uh, what eventually, let me put it this way, in, in as legally accurate a way as possible, what, what was the case that eventually was brought against your employer there? Well, what I ended up approaching him with uh, was un that I wasn't being paid fair overtime. I was also not receiving fair share of my tips received from um, catering events and uh, event vending at like festivals and things of the like. I was forced to take breaks out of my time card every day that I had never once took every single day. I took a break out of my time card that I never took. Um, So there were a number of very clear labor law violations. I did also... um, in a less formal, through a less formal letter, I did also let the owner know that I, I had a number of, uh, you know, potentially sexual harassment, 
uh, claims to make against him uh, because personally I had also been subjected to comments about my own body and jokes about having sex with members of my family and things like that. So um, the one thing that I did approach him about was the uh, labor law violations because those were pretty open and shut and provable. But in addition to that, there was a host of other complaints. (laughs) And can you go into the uh, process a little bit of um, bringing those complaints to him? You said you you did it in kind of two different ways. So when I initially, I left that job for another position. When I left, it was a pretty heated departure. I was pretty much told to get out immediately when I told him that I had found a new position. Um, So, and I didn't get a chance to kind of tie up loose ends, you know, fin- give him the keys to the restaurant and things like that. So when I was approached about getting those keys back, I sent him a letter that basically said, um, I could potentially go after you for some of these violations uh, and I-, I will send you your keys. But, you know, if you continue to be aggressive toward me, I can come at you with legal action. Um, Probably about six to nine months later, after reflecting on all of it and really thinking about how much money I had lost, I decided that I was going to take the step to try to pursue that. So I sent a demand letter and uh, that actually yielded the hoped response and I was able to settle. Well, and I think a lot of people who are contemplating that kind of uh, course of action um, don't really know where to get advice from. And did you have, uh, did you have it like a lawyer or uh, someone who, who was able to give you legal advice? I have gotten some um, unofficial legal advice. And in this particular case, I was just did some research on labor laws for California. Um, a lot of the, in California, the labor laws are very much on the side of the employee and bully here in Oregon also is, there to protect employees. So there is actually quite a bit of information on their websites about clear information about the laws, about what you are entitled to as an employee in terms of overtime breaks, you know, tip sharing and versus tip pooling, which is actually kind of a newer um, specific legislation here in Oregon. But um, I was able to just find information that clearly stated the violations um from the California Labor Board. And so I just brought those to his attention and basically said, how are we going to fix this? It seemed like it sounds like there was kind of a swift outcome to it. Like he reacted sort of how you wanted him to. I was actually I had decided I was going to be moving to Portland, Oregon um, within those a few months before I decided to pursue um, a settlement. So I, as, as I said, I looked kind of at how much money I had lost and thought that I wanted to pursue it. I made a rough estimate of how much money I had lost. Um, I didn't have, I knew that I wasn't being tipped out fairly, for example, from some of our events because I had seen the invoice or the, the invoices that we had given to the customers and seen the amount of tip that they got that they gave us and then seen my portion of that. So I wasn't exactly sure on a number. Um, I kind of decided that I didn't want to pursue it in court. And so I did some, I approached him with a number that I thought was fair for me, but also was probably less than I could have gotten um, because of penalties 
there is a considerable amount of penalties on those kinds of violations. And so um, I decided to, I crunched the numbers a lot of different ways. And I found a number that I felt comfortable walking away from the situation with that I also felt I would be able to get. I mean, in this particular case, there wasn't, I felt very confident that I had a strong case because then there were just numbers that didn't lie. I also had a number of witnesses who had worked with me for this particular business. business. I worked there for two years and a number of different events over those years, I could have called on any number of people to verify the information. Um, in addition, like I said, to the actual numbers, which I knew would have proven me right. So um, I very much felt confident that if I approached him with a reasonable settlement, he would accept it. And he did. And when you say penalties, you mean like um, things that would be assessed against him for as punishment for these violations in yes. addition to the original amount? Yes. Um, so things like um, not being paid fair overtime, they, you don't just get paid what you were owed. There is also, I believe it's... I believe at the time in California, it was about 50%, but there are penalties um, for not having paid it at the time because I was living without that income for however many months, and it's a law violation. <laughs> in this, in that process, like personally speaking, did, were there any particular uh, obstacles or, or challenges that you had to kind of get over to be able to do this? Yeah. Um, personally, I definitely had a, a pretty big obstacle. Um, as I said, it was my first job in professional kitchens. And I was really gracious when I was first offered that position to be given a start without any professional cooking experience. Um, and I felt kind of a debt to him when I first left. I, that's kind of why I sent the letter saying I could come after you, but I won't was because I felt a debt to him for giving me an opportunity. Um, during the course of my working there, I I would describe the atmosphere as abusive, um, and I don't use that phrase lightly, but I, the owner of the business who was the my superior, you know, every day of the week, would say things to me about how uh, I needed to change my character if I wanted to succeed in the restaurant industry. He would say things to me about how, about just myself that I, w I wouldn't be able to succeed because I didn't have whatever he thought it was that it, it took to succeed. He really did quite a number on my self-esteem. It felt, um, I felt very much lessened when I would work with him. Additionally, he, I made the mistake of telling him at one point in time what I paid in rent and um, that was around a period of time where my hours were cut to the point where I was pretty much just making enough to get by, um, but my schedule was very inconsistent, so I couldn't really get another job. In fact, I actually stopped going to one of my classes because even though I had given my parameters for my school, um, my class schedule at that time, it wasn't all of a sudden not being respected anymore. And when I asked to have those days off, I was told that I couldn't. So I actually ended up having to drop classes because I needed the money to live and I had to work. And was was any of it easier or simpler than you expected as far as the legal process? I mean, yes. Um, once I wrote the letter, <laughs> the day I got a response letter um, from that owner, 
I, I just remember crying because it had felt like this terrifying thing that I wasn't, I, I was very afraid to stand up against him. He was a bully to me to a certain extent. And I was so afraid uh, he was a very emotional person. Obviously he didn't, wasn't very appropriate. And I, I was actually afraid that there would be some kind of retaliation. So the day when I got the letter back from him within, I want to say just over a week after I sent my demand letter, um, I received a letter that was basically said, I deny all of your claims. Uh, however, I'm going to pay you the sum that you have asked for. And I just had to sign, you know, I had to sign a release of course, but it was so incredible that it, it wasn't that hard. It seemed very scary. And then all of a sudden, once it happened, there it was. I, I just had to ask for it. And um, I signed some non-disclosure agreements um, and sent that back. And about a week later, I had a check for the amount that I had asked for. It was incredible. <laughs> Like what? What sort of reactions did you get from people uh, when you, uh, when or if you told them what you were uh, pursuing with them? Did you have support? I had a lot of support from uh, a lot of the people. I, I was very close with my family, and they all had seen me suffering for the past two years working. I mean, there were. I had worked uh, about a month before I finally left that position. I had worked a festival where I worked three eighteen-hour days in a row. And in that particular case, I did not make fair overtime. I was given a bonus of about $150 for that much overtime, tons and tons of overtime. Um, And to clarify, that's not legal, right? Yes, correct. Um, I mean, I had also worked in the days prior to that, so it wasn't as though I had just worked 54 hours within a three-day span. I had also worked the four days probably before that. But, um, yeah, having six hours between shifts with no breaks, definitely not legal in any state. <laughs> as far as like old, uh, oh, old coworkers or uh, current coworkers at your new job, did, did they know about this? Um, old coworkers, unfortunately, I am not legally allowed to ex- tell that any of them about oh. that. Yeah. I wished I wanted so badly, especially the young woman who, um, I mentioned earlier, she and I started at the same time and were, I had formed a friendship and both really were, went through this experience together. And it was hard to do it and to feel like I left her behind. But at the same time, I, I wish I could have anonymously told her how to pursue the information. But unfortunately, that wasn't something that I was able to do at the time. And after I left the position, um, it was just, I, it was tense when I left and I didn't really reach out to her a whole bunch after I had left the job. So it wasn't like we were constantly in contact when I ended up pursuing uh, legal, the demand letter. But in terms of present employers, I have, I don't talk about it a ton, but I do like to let both my employers and those that I work with know that I have an awareness of labor laws. Um, both because I don't want anyone to think they can pull one over on me and also because I want to be a resource for people and I want to be able to help anyone who thinks that they might be in a position where their rights are being violated as an employee. I feel very strongly that the restaurant industry makes a lot of exceptions for that 
And it's insane. We are workers just like everyone else, and we deserve the same rights as everyone else. And on, on that note, um, if if you heard uh, somebody in, in a service industry, um, not necessarily who you worked with or, or even in the same type of work, if you heard somebody um, like musing about taking some kind of legal action for a particular offense against their employer, what, what would be the first piece of advice that you would give them? Document anything you can as soon as you can. Um, any hold on to your pay stubs always <laughs> never ever i mean maybe 2 years later cuz i don't know what the statute of limitation is currently in oregon california it was 2 years that you were able to reclaim wages i believe it's either a year and a half or 2 years in oregon but I, there is a statute there is a, a period of time where you are going to be able to reclaim wages so um hold on to all of your documents for at least a year or two and I would say um, research. Don't be afraid to look at what your rights are on Bully. Additionally, there are many lawyers who will at least give you consultations if you just contact them, um, even just to see if there is any kind of course of action. I've not had to employ a lawyer, but have basically reached out to them and said, does this sound like I might have a case? And they would have replied yes. And their first suggestion was follow up with a demand letter because one, that'll save you quite a bit of money. And two, it's, you need to prove that you have approached them about this prior to really like seeking legal action. If you have documentation, especially of you approaching your employer and saying, I think I'm not making fair overtime. I think my tip share is wrong. That will help you tremendously because in theory, if there the oversights happen. And so if you can show that you have approached them to try to correct the issue and they did not, then that will help your case tremendously because otherwise, you know, potentially someone might have just missed some hours somewhere. And that it's not that that's, you know, it's not as though that's legal, but it's also going to help your case quite a bit more if you have documentation that you've approached them. As we all know, the legal world and legal action in general is kind of infested with little technicalities and stuff. And as far as like a demand letter goes, would you recommend to people to deliver that like in person or via mail or email or? Um, definitely don't use email or just the regular mail. I would say it's you want something where you can verify that it was received. Any kind of paper trail that you can give to yourself is great. Um, I've sent certified demand letters or hand-delivered. Hand-delivered, I would say, if you are dealing with a person who maybe isn't potentially volatile would be a good idea. But um, in the case in San Francisco, I definitely chose to send a certified letter because I it was a person who I didn't really feel... Uh, would not react highly emotionally to that. Uh, as far as not not just first steps, but is there anything gen more generally that you think people should know before taking a course of action like this? It would be, I mean, if you are able to get any peers who you know would be able to corroborate your story, that would be helpful. Um, if you have the ability to get something signed by someone else, that would probably be helpful. I haven't had to do that, but... Any kind of data you can, collecting data is extremely important. Um, I would also say one thing that 
is an easy mistake to make is to not put a timeline. If you write a demand letter, it's important to say when you need a response by, because um, if you don't, if you just kind of put the idea out there that you might pursue something, but you don't put a, an end date on the window of opportunity for them to correct their mistakes, then you kind of open yourself up to any number of things. I mean, the, the, if you give them too much time, they could, you know, find a way to wiggle out of it. They could. I, I just think that is a mistake that I've made where I didn't uh, in an, the second situation that I encountered with a labor settlement. I actually mistakenly forgot to put a end date on the uh, offer that I had for a settlement. And it kind of left the door open in a way that w didn't work very well for me. It sort of felt like. I put the ball in their court more than was comfortable. And in this situation, when you're standing up to someone who generally has more power than you do, you want to hold on to all the power you can. So um, putting an end date on it means that you will then know exactly when you either need to pursue further legal action or you know that there will be a settlement. But it leaves it to you kind of up in the air otherwise. Our, our listeners probably noticed that we're kind of dancing around some things here, like uh, your name, the name of your former employer, and you know some some details. And where does this uh, the need for anonymity stem from? Well, so in the the agreement that I signed upon my settlement, um, we agreed that I wouldn't disclose the terms, the specifics of the settlement in any way, and that would include the amount, uh, the business, or anything like that. And so for that reason, I'm keeping my own name private. Um, I, in the terms of that settlement, if I were to violate any of that, we would be going into arbitration, um, and the arbiter would be chosen by the party who I settled with, which would not be optimal. Really? Yeah, that's something that is in uh, was in the agreement, was that they would be choosing the arbitrator. I, I just wasn't going to violate the terms of the uh, agreement at all. But one thing, um, there's also a mutual non-disparagement agreement, so um, which is a relief to me because I have known some businesses who have uh, post-employment taken the opportunity to badmouth their former employees to their present employers. So it's really nice to have a a, a legal agreement that they are not allowed to go to my current employers and say speak ill of me, nor can I speak ill of them specifically. <laughs> and lastly, uh, this is you know this is an experience that you know not not a lot of people in the service industry have had, and that I'm sure a lot of people in in one in uh, the variety of service industries out there, it's probably not something that a lot of people even consider. What have you learned? What would you like people to know from your experience? Um, I think especially in the food service industry, there's this idea of toughness and bragging about how long a shifts you've worked and, and bragging about, you know, the insane conditions that we work under. And it's fun. I totally still buy into it sometimes. But getting paid what you're owed is your right. And it's not cool to be underpaid, it's not something that we should accept or think that it's weak or like betraying the industry to seek what's rightfully ours. I, The exceptions we make for whatever reason need to stop. We, 
are entitled to breaks and overtime and fair pay and it just needs to stop. It's a great, I, I love working in the restaurant industry. I love working with my body. I love working with food. I love serving people. I just, I won't, I can't stand the silly exceptions we make when it comes to our labor rights. And we need to stand up for ourselves and change these things because it's gone on for too long. Elaine, thank you very much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Bread and Butter. Oregon labor laws and wage claim procedures can be found at the Bureau of Labor and Industries website, www.oregon.gov forward slash B-O-L-I. If you have a story you'd like to tell, feel free to email me at sam.boumann at gmail.com. That's sam.bowman at gmail.com. Thanks to Elaine for sharing her story, to freesounds.org, and to Alan Toussaint for our theme music. And last but not least, thank you to KBOO Portland, your community radio station. My name is Sam Bowman. Thanks for listening. Since the beginning doesn't change yet Some people fly Begin to lose sight It's horrible You can't see very clear When you're in flight It's high time That you find The same people you misuse on your way up you might